Welcome to the Know, Like, and Trust show with Brittany Gardner, the podcast where we explore the world of personal branding and how to build your know, like, and trust factor up for ultimate business success. And now here's your host, Brittany Gardner. All right, today I'm going to be introducing Raul Hernandez Ochoa to you guys. He has a great interview. We're talking all about how to maintain productive profitability, which is also the title of his book, as you grow your business, both in growing your team and in growing with new products or new lines of revenue. This is particularly applicable to the online coaching world. If you are expanding, if you're adding sub-coaches, if you're adding new kinds of programs into your world, all of the things that you need to think about as you maintain your brand integrity, as you build culture, and ultimately as you grow your business as a whole from you, the leader of your brand. First though, a little bit about Raul. He's a business strategist helping entrepreneurs realize their potential. He has trained hundreds of entrepreneurs through live seminars, online programs, and private masterminds. He's played a key part in helping scale businesses and has overseen hundreds of online advertising campaigns. His work has helped positively impact the lives of his clients and the team he's helped flourish. All right, on to our interview. All right, Raul, welcome to the Know, Like, and Trust show. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Brittany. So one of the things I'm really excited about talking with you is you are all about scaling in a productive way. Obviously, profitability ties into that. And I know that you'll talk a little bit more about that. But I think when a lot of people think about scaling, they're only thinking in terms of profitability and you take the brand into account. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that, if that's right? Absolutely. So when you're growing the company and you're scaling or incrementally growing month over month or year after year, profits obviously have to come first in order to sustain that for the employees, for you to put food on the table. But also there is that holistic approach where you can't just focus on one area of the company and expect for everything else to be okay. So the brand, not only from your customer's experience externally to how you present yourself to the marketplace needs to be on point as you grow, but also how the customer experiences within the company and how the team works holistically. Because as you grow, you know, your team will grow and how they work together is a function of how you run properly your culture and your brand. I think culture and brand tie hand in hand, really. So when you're talking about culture and brand tying hand in hand, I totally agree. <laughs> but can you dive into what you mean by that a little bit more? Because I think at least in some of the client work that I have experienced over the last year, especially a lot of entrepreneurs have this idea that, okay, I did the branding work, the brand is done, and now I can move on to other things. And it almost feels like people have the expectation that you can set it and forget it. Interesting. Well, I think when the branding work is done, that's great because you have the foundation. But it's also when you create a brand, it's almost like a living, breathing organism that is your business. So you got to work it out. You got to make it live throughout. It's not just to set it and forget it because every action that you do within your company, even if you don't have are consciously focused on it, affects your brand and it affects your culture and it affects on the team reacts. And as you're growing the company, the way that your team works is essential because if there's bottlenecks that are developing, if there's things that are falling through the cracks, and if there's just things not getting done correctly, it's going to hinder your overall growth and stunt you and it could like implode within the company. So branding work is never really done. It's always going to be 
sustained and evolved as you tie the brand to the specific actions and job responsibilities of within your team. I love that. Living, breathing thing, I think, gives people such a good visual for what we can expect as we employ our brand as we do grow. So thank you for that. When you're talking about building a culture within a team, how have you experienced a good way to do that? Especially, let's pose a hypothetical here. You know, maybe a person has a couple team members, but they're freelancers. They're not full time on their team, and they they want to start moving more in the direction of of having consistency within the team. Like, what are the things that they should be paying attention to along that journey? That's a great question because there is, and we'll talk about the, the the difference between working with vendors and actually working with people working in the team, which is a key differentiator. But it all starts with the leadership team. It all starts if you're uh, the one person team, it all starts with you and it all starts in how you show up. And the easiest way not to oversimplify it is just to have a real set value system. Like these are our three or five core values and this is how we make decisions. This is why we do what we do. Like people like us do things like this. And I love that quote from Seth Godin. And that's specifically what your brand does. So the people that you're hiring or working with will do things a certain way based on how you show up. Because if you say, this is how I want you to do things, and then you go ahead and your actions speak for themselves and you do something else, there's a disconnect. And you're encouraging that within your company. Now, you bring something great up because if you're if you have a part-time freelancer working for you, you know, I have a client and they have a lot of you know, part-time or hourly workers and they're remote and that's awesome, but they really care about how they treat them. Even though they're the remote, even though they're being paid less, they really love and how they care for the team and create a culture that, hey, this is not just some company or some client that you have. This is actually someone that we care about your growth and we care about your sustainability and your happiness. Because then when you do that, the team will work better. I mean, happier employees are more productive and also they'll give more stake into why they're like more meaning before the the tasks that they're doing. On the flip side, though, I've also experienced when you're working with vendors who are just specific partners for a specific part of the business. Let's say you're doing a website build. Let's say you're doing a tech connection. You still treat them with the same integrity that you do everyone else because how you do anything is how you do everything. However, You don't have to go as deep as saying, like, uh, this is our brand culture. You have to adopt it because typically with vendors, they're their own organization and you're doing B2B transactions. You just got to make sure that you keep your vendor partners happy. I love that. I'm sure many online entrepreneurs can say this, but I've actually been a part of other people's teams and I have my own business. And the distinction between those things is not always clear when you are doing work for someone else. And I'll I'll give an example. I, I do occasionally some work for an agency. It's a creative outlet for me. And it's actually a joy for me to do it because I have zero interaction with the actual end client. They just tell me what to do and I do it. And I don't have to be a part of that person's brand. I know the directives that I'm given for the work that I I do. And, and obviously, that's all very brand aligned. But I don't represent that company in any way other than providing the work I'm supposed to be doing on a timely basis, right? Whereas when I occasionally collaborate with other teams through my own business, that aspect of falling in line with their culture is so much more important. I, I really like the way that you describe that because vendors have a very different word feel than team members. Yeah. And also with that example, and I love that you shared that, like when you're working and doing the work and not directly you know, tied with the client, it's your creative outlet, but also you have a relationship with someone in that agency. And depending on how they treat you, or how you feel about them, that's their external brand 
working with you? And what's to say, like, per- perhaps that you're one of the top, you know, quote unquote, you know, vendors or support that they have. And if they treat you like weird or you don't like some of the, you know, the back and forth, they could lose someone who's super valuable to them because of how they went ahead and treated outside personnel. So the, all that plays into how the brand overall is compacted from internally to externally. Oh, that's a great point. I didn't even think about it in that direction. Like I like working for that agency because they're they're clear about what they need. They give me the directive. I get it done. I get a little creative playtime and then I'm done. But you're right. If it was set up in a different way, it would not be nearly as enjoyable for me. And I would probably just remove that from my business because it's not necessary for me to do that. Exactly. And that costs them money because now they have to go and find a replacement. And again, branding is beautiful because it encompasses everything from internal to external. So when you're talking about maintaining the integrity of a brand as you scale, as you grow your team, as you add new products or or funnels or new lines of, of revenue, what are the hiccups that you see most often along the way? The hiccups that I see most often, so let's break that into two, because the one is adding new products or services. So that's, you know, the business development and the other one's the team growth, adding more people to your team internally. On the product development side, I think the biggest hiccup is making sure that what you're building is for your, either for the market that you're currently serving in the way that they know you and experienced your work in the past, or if you're heading into a new market, ensuring that it still aligns with your brand. Here's a perfect example. So I work with a digital marketing firm. It's one of the fastest growing online. With them specifically, um, they have an opportunity perhaps to work with clients who can't nearly afford right now where they're at. But however, if they position themselves in the marketplace with the same brand right now that they're charging premium clients to charge, let's say, an entry-level client, there's a disconnect, right? So when Mercedes came out with the, the electric car, they didn't brand it as Mercedes. They branded it as its different, you know, line of business, but under the under the umbrella. The same thing here, when you're looking at new markets to enter, if you're looking at new products to say, does this align with the integrity of where we're at right now? Do our customers have a certain level of expectation? How do our customers feel? The cool part about it is that there's only a select number of feelings that humans experience, right? Either a status elevation, peace of mind, or like a concierge, or whatever, whatever it may be that you're delivering, is it aligned with the feeling? And if it's not, then maybe you need to look at, should we create a sub-brand? You know, another great example there is like with Coors. When Coors water came out, people didn't buy it because they thought it was beer, <laughs> right? And then you have Coca-Cola with a different brand. It's Denali, I believe, right? So it's you have to separate the name if you're going to do a new line of business where your customers have a different set of expectations from you or a different set of feelings that they want to get from you. On the flip side, when you're growing the company, you're growing a team, this is where it, you can, when setting and forget it, if you'd set and forget when you grow up with your team, you're going to lose quality, you're going to lose, you know, brand, you know, integrity, and you're going to lose your core customers. You may keep them, but the key thing is you need to make sure that the job roles, responsibilities align with the brand and that your team members actually understand how they're part of a bigger picture of the company. Because that's how, one, you retain talent, like high talent like real talent, that's how you retain them, make sure that they're involved in something bigger. And two, making sure that you have a certain level of expectation. And as an owner, sometimes it's scary to let go. Like I have battle that day in and day out. However, there is a minimum level of expectation because your clients can't see if your level of output is like at 95%, right? And your team's level of output, let's say it's 87%. 
your clients don't care as long as it's over 70%, which is what they can see and measure. That's perfect. And for you, it's like, well, that's compromising. That's, you know, that's being complacent. That's getting comfortable. Not really. That's just expanding and duplicating you over time. And with refinement, you can increase that level of quality and output. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you might look at bringing on a new team member as losing efficiency because they're not doing things to the level that you're used to doing them either with, you know, time or completion or, you know, whatever the the measure that we're looking at. But the client can't see that. Your business may have become a tiny bit less efficient as you add people, but you can build that back up to where it would be. And either way, it's still well above anything the client can see. Well, efficiency is one thing. This is on the quality of the product. And that's to say that your training has to build that person up as you grow. Because maybe they come in, they need some training, they need the know-how, and that takes a couple weeks, maybe months. But as they develop that, they're increasing their quality of output. The whole purpose of bringing someone in is to increase efficiency so that you can focus on other areas of the business that require your attention while they're focused on other parts of the business. That's a good point. My worry bringing someone on has always been about efficiency, probably because I've never had to experience one who doesn't do things at the same quality level that that I have. I'm sure that will happen at some point down the road. But for me, it's efficiency because you know I know how I do something. I do it quickly. And then when I bring someone on, not only do I have to stop and take the time to train them, they still don't do it as quickly as I do even once they are trained. And to me, it feels less efficient, even though obviously we are doing more output than I could do on my own. And then you're saying that for quality, it works essentially the same way. Yeah, with efficiency and quality. And that's the tough part too. That's why a lot of people either don't outsource or create team members internally. And that kind of hinders your growth. But I understand the quality, that aspect of it. You can mitigate your risk by the way that you set up your training and your onboarding. That's what I help people with specifically is like one, maximizing your team, two, shortening that gap between onboarding and getting people aligned because it does take time. But the nice thing is that you might do some heavy lifting and for a, a season, maybe it's a, a one month, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is, and specifically what you're trying to hand off, there is heavy lifting, but it's just a season. Because once you have that heavy lifting done, then you can enjoy the benefits and reap the benefits after. And the heavy lifting kind of scares people because like, oh, I'm already working, you know, 60 hour weeks. I'm already doing that. How, how can you tell me that's going to going to happen? But it, it's possible. Lots of teams have done it. You know, have helped people who would never imagine that could do that are still doing are doing it. But it, there is that mindset that hey, I'm going to go into this. It's going to take a little bit extra work, might be 1.5x more or longer than I think, but it's going to be worth it. And 10 out of 10 times, it is worth it. When you hire the right person, you onboard them properly, you train them properly, they have some level of autonomy and decision-making, and then you remove yourself as the bottleneck, you're going to feel great, the client's going to feel great because now they can get more work done or you can help more clients, and then you can focus on areas that are more important for your business, either the next stage of growth or a new line of opportunity. So one of the best examples I know of seeing a company grow and maintaining their culture is the learning management system I use for for my digital products and my courses. It's, it's called Member Vault. And I joined it almost a year ago, somewhere around there. And I was immediately in their Facebook group. And I loved the feeling of being there. And their owners are just so 
joyful. Like they they really care and you can feel it. It's, it's a small team. And I was wondering how they, they kept their culture. So they started a podcast at one point and they asked everyone, hey, submit your questions for things that you'd like us to cover. And that was the question I asked. How do you build that culture, not only within your actual employee team, but within the, the general community? And I love stories like that. And that's one of the reasons why I was so intrigued with talking with you about this. And I, I'm hoping that you have a story like that that you can tell us, uh, maybe a, a client, maybe a, a personal story, but but something where you experienced that and were able to grow it in a way that felt good all around. I think one of the most relevant stories, and be, besides client work, let's talk about a highlight. So I interviewed um, Kate Nolan on one of my podcasts. She, women-led entrepreneur, they started a clothing line, like a fitness sports apparel, but they created more than just fitness apparel. So their company is called Grace by Grit. They recently got bought out by High Lead. But well, the way that she developed community is that she empowered women, not only with the clothes and apparel, but also with the internal team. Like there's stories in her book where someone was flying out from the East Coast to San Diego because, you know, a relationship just ended and she needed to start over and she wanted to do free internship. They created new positions for specific people. They created new opportunities for working moms. They empowered the community. But not only that, they created an environment where customers get an option to donate to or get 10% to a charity. Customers were now becoming ambassadors for the brand because they created a culture of empowerment as well as with community. And as they continued to grow, that turned into their foundation. And now the foundation in terms of like, a, it's like a charity. It's a, it's a where you can donate and they fund young girls going into collegiate athletics because they found that that young women who do sports tend to do better in you know the corporate world. So they started creating this this culture and based on their true sense of their true North Star, like what are the values that they care about? For Member Vault, you know, I, I haven't heard of the company from, from from my understanding, they're probably encouraging their team to be autonomous, making decisions on their own, taking ownership of their decisions, two, encouraging them to have happy moments ensuring them that they can delight customers. I know for Disney, if you, every employee, if they don't delight a customer for two days in a row, they have to talk to their manager because they have to log it after their shift, which is incredible, right? So how do you incorporate core values that you care about in your business into the everyday minutia tasks? And that's how you act. That's how you interact. That's how you communicate and market and message. So those are, I think, good highlights of relevant brands and you know, brands that I look up to and brands that I care about in regards to that. So when you're putting your own core values into the work that you do, even down to the minutia level, as you as you said, how do you go about doing that in a way that doesn't feel robotic, shall we say? Checklist, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> checklist yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's actually what I work with clients with. So this is another a great example. It's uh, with the lead, so I work directly with leadership teams, and then that goes, you know, trickles down. But the leadership team is everything, and if you are your own leadership team, that's everything. And it's not a way of like, oh, I have to do this, this, and this. It's this is how we flow. This is how we work. And maintaining it so that your strategies and your values are simple to remember and easy to communicate. I don't need you to have twenty different strategies. I don't need you to have 12 different core values. I just need to make it sure that it's easy for you to remember and to communicate. Once you do that, you can compact everything in regards to standard operating procedures 
And I you know I've teach people to create a one page standard operating procedure because I hate the 40 page documents that I get lost. And then <laughs> I just like one pagers. And seriously, you can make whatever process in your business into one page. The team sees it, understands it. And that's a team that's remote. That can be a team that that's not even in the same office. This can be a team remote, different time zones and different cultures, different backgrounds, different modalities, all in one page to make sure that people understand what they need to do, how they need to do it, and the expectations. That's the, um, I call it the hard metrics and soft metrics. That's the hard metrics. It's like the math. It's like the technical. The soft side of that is how you manage that person. It's how you encourage them. It's how you mentor them. It's how you train them. Because errors are going to happen. We're imperfect humans working with other imperfect humans. We're going to come up with an error somewhere down the line. It's how you mitigate those risks. It's how you address those errors. It's how you communicate with the clients or with the team. Like I've had experiences where there was big, big errors with a client account. And then I had both the, the manager and the implementer on a call. And then they thought they, thought they were going to get like a really bad talking to, right? <laughs> At the end of the call, you know, this is not to say that, you know, that I'm amazing or that anything that I said was spectacular. I just focused on the results and caring about the team. And, you know, it's incredible to hear when team members tell you, hey, thank you. That was very kind of you. And then more encouraged to do their job better next time. And it's just being able to manage that appropriately and being able to understand the growth pains, because there are very specific growth pains as you're scaling up your company that are going to happen. It's part of the journey. And it's just having that mindset, understanding, hey, this is part of the journey. I'm not accepting defeat. I'm not accepting, you know, lower level quality. I just understand that this road's a little bumpy. It's part of it. Let's just manage it together and ensure that we're producing at the level that we know we can produce, not burning out, and ensuring that everyone's enjoying the ride. That was awesome. Thank you. So what do you have coming up for your business? Is there is there any place that we can find you online? Anything new coming up? The biggest thing is I launched my book in March earlier this year, Productive Profits. I go over every single checklist or item or SOP documented template that you can provide and it's, uh, you can give and provide and integrate into your business. Essentially, they're what I did. This is the exact work that I do with my clients. There's no fluff. There's no filler. There's no, it's exactly step-by-step -step implementation. It's a workbook. It's helped companies already in regards to how they structure their teams and how they grow. That's the best way to get more details in regards to this and get access to the templates, to the SOPs, productive profits. You can find it on Amazon or at dogoodwork.io forward slash book. Other than that, just network with me on LinkedIn. We'll connect. I uh, have an interesting new service coming up, but essentially, if you have any questions or need any help, just reach out to me. I always love to connect and connect people to um, to solutions. Uh, well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our talk about expanding culture and I guess really just getting into the nitty gritty. I appreciate that you were giving real details and not the fluff, as you said. Thank you for having me, Brittany. All right, guys. I hope you appreciated that time with Raul. I really, really love how he dove into the nitty gritty. That is my favorite kind of guest to have on the show. People who are willing to take one narrow aspect of building your brand and really giving us tangible things to do. This is what you do next. This is what you look for. I hope you enjoyed this. Please go ahead and leave us a awesome five-star review on iTunes. It will help us share this show with more people who need to hear this information. 